Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. He's faithful to his word, and he never fails. You can try all you want, but he won't fail on you. He won't leave you either. Amen. He will not leave you. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Anybody thankful to be in the house tonight? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. So, I'm your designated person tonight. Amen. As Brother uh, Alberti said, Pastor is in Virginia Beach tonight. And before we get started, I do want to give him honor, um, as well as give honor to our First Lady, um, like I said, he's in Virginia Beach. He's preaching to a great congregation, and I might be a tad biased because I spent some time in Virginia Beach throughout my college uh, days, but New Life Tabernacle is where he's at, and uh, before I get started, I just wanted to take a moment, give him honor. I'm honored he would ask me to stand here tonight in his stead. He's not here. Brother Johnson is not here as well, so you're stuck with me. If I make a mess, y'all can blame uh, me and not them. So... Um, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me tonight to Psalms chapter 23. Many of, us, many of you guys can quote it. You grew up quoting it. You have it by memory. But if you don't, I know the wonderful folks in the back will help us out tonight. If you're there, would you say amen with me? Amen. Psalms chapter 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tell your neighbor, don't fear. Don't fear when you're going through the valley of the shadow of death. Because for thou art with me, the Lord is with us. Amen. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Anybody thankful for his goodness and his mercy? Amen. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Bow your heads tonight with me in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word, God. Thank you for the promises in your word, God, that no matter what we go through, Lord, you're faithful. As we sang earlier, God, you will be with us, God. You'll lead us through the shadow, God, the valley of the shadow of death, Lord. And we don't have to fear, God, because you alone are with us, Lord. And I pray, God, open up your word to us tonight. Challenge us, Lord. God, help us enjoy our time together tonight. Teach us and lead us closer to you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Would you just clap your hands and give God some praise tonight before you're seated. God, we worship you. We thank you, Lord. You're worthy of honor and glory. We bless your name, God. 
Hallelujah. You may be seated. Please, I start off tonight by saying, please bear with me. I am a tad bit nervous because this is not the usual method in which I get to teach. Normally, I'm standing down there and not up here. So there's a perspective change. I feel a little taller than I normally would be. Amen. And that's all right. But um, if this is your first time in church here at Living Hope on a Wednesday night, you're probably thinking what majority of us were thinking three weeks ago. The not-so-hidden elephant in the room. Why in the world is there a table on the platform? Why is there a table? Better yet, why is it filled with snacks? Lord, this right here, my children. This right here, my children, they don't even call this by, the, by its name. They just call it daddy snacks because if they go in there and touch it, daddy's going to get them. And so that right there alone, Lord, help me. Um, anyway, why is this table filled with snacks and food that will instantly give me a cavity? Why? And well, we're now three weeks into a series, and as you guys know, the series talks about not giving the enemy a seat at our table. Amen. We don't want the enemy coming into the table that the Lord has prepared for us. And so overall, we're focusing, as you can see on the screen tonight, on winning the battle in our minds. Because we know that is where the enemy keeps coming against us. He don't come out in the open. He attacks us in between the ears. He attacks us. It all starts in our minds. The way that the enemy gains a seat at the table God has prepared for us is when he starts gaining access into our minds. And so as a quick recap tonight, Pastor introduced this lesson to us the first night. Psalms 23 and 5 tells us that the Lord prepares a table just for us. Somebody say, just for me. Just for me. Just like this wonderful table right here filled with goodness and mercy and Texas Roadhouse butter flaky doughy biscuits or rolls as some of you guys would call I even got the the butter up here there are there are really rolls in here just so you know there's really some I, I like fried chicken and I couldn't get my wife to cook me none real quick so I had to settle for an alternative but Popeye's is in the house amen and and there's really chicken chicken in there tonight but the table God prepares for you is tailor-made for you and this is important because it's only a table that is set for two. It's not a table that everybody else can come and sit at, even though the enemy, as we know, is trying his best to get there. Only two occupants at a time can be at this table. We're one of them, and it's us who we allow to sit in the opposite seat. That depends on us. See, we can allow the creator to sit at the table that he has prepared for us or... We can allow the enemy access to this table, but we cannot have both. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Hello, somebody. Jesus will never dine with us if we allow the enemy access to our table. What makes this truth difficult for us, though, is where God prepares the table. This table isn't in some flowery field somewhere. It's not in a paradise. It's not on a mountaintop or situated on a sandy beach. The table is in the midst of our enemies. It's right in the middle of our trials and our struggles. The table is placed within sight of our enemies. 
They can see what you got access to, and they want what you or what the Lord has prepared for us. And we either choose to focus on who has prepared the table for us and the one who will sustain us, or we focus on the enemy and the surrounding atmosphere going on outside of the table. We know the right choice is to focus on God. And as Psalms 23 says, he's the good shepherd. We must let him lead us. And he leads us to find rest, find find a, a place to refresh yourself in the green pastures. He takes us to still waters. And even though we may be surrounded by an enemy who's doing everything he can to destroy us, we don't have to fear because the Lord says he is with us. And so that was week one. And last week, Brother Johnson taught us about some antics, some tactics, some lies that the enemy uses to gain access to our table. And it's very likely that some of us don't even know that the enemy is seated at our table. We have listened to his voice and his deception for so long, we've grown accustomed to it. We think that's his rightful place, is sitting right across from us. And it's become our new normal. How many know that that's a very real thing? You guys understand that that's a very real thing. Some of my friends, they come over, Justin and Mia, Bo and Tasha, some of the other families in the church come over. And it's amazing how some folks, when they don't have children, how you can be ignorant to the sounds that go on around you. My children are making a racket. They're like, you don't hear that? I don't hear what? You don't hear Jay calling your name 10 times? Jay, did you call? Oh, you're calling me now. Then we realize we've just become so accustomed to what's going on around us, it becomes natural to us. How many know 2019 and early into 2020, I'd never have thought that this pandemic would become the new normal. Hello, somebody. And it looks like we'll never return to the pre-2019 living that we had, but it's all right. Just as we read in Psalms 23, God is still leading us. He's still in control. He hasn't left us at any point during this time of what we're going through. And so last week, Brother Johnson talked to us about four lies that the enemy speaks to us, speaks in our ear to gain access to the table. And real quickly, if you feel like you're battling these thoughts and feelings, then it should be a clear indication that the enemy is actively working to sit at your table. The first lie he told us was the enemy tries to tell us it's better at another table. You know, the enemy, he's a master at deception, and he'll plant lies in our minds to make us believe we're not experiencing the abundant life that Jesus has to offer us. Don't listen to him tell you things would be better if you were at a different situation or a different circumstance. You know, God has prepared this table just for us, and he knows exactly what's best for us. The enemy will try to tell you, oh, that's better and that's better, but God alone knows what you need in this time and for what you're going through right now. It's not another table. It's at the table right in front of us that we get everything we need. The second and third lie that Brother Johnson told us last week is first, the enemy tries to tell us we're not going to make it. And then he also tries to tell us the other lie that we're not good enough. This is a lie from the pit of hell. The good shepherd promises. That's what we read in Psalms 23. He promises to be with us and see us through even the valley of the shadow of death. The reason we're going to make it through is because God already paid the price. He already laid down his life for us. We have to stop putting our human reasoning on this concept 
and banish these insecure thoughts that the enemy is trying to tell us. Jesus is more than enough for what we're going through. And he sees value in every one of us. He alone desires to be with us even more than we desire to be with him. Why? Because he's already prepared everything we need. Even before we knew we needed it, God already had it prepared for us in our struggle. And the last lie last week was that everyone is against us. How many of you have ever felt that way? Everybody's got it out for me. What did, they didn't shake my hand. They didn't say hello when I came in the door. That's the enemy trying to creep into your mind and take a seat at the table. And the truth is, yes, there is a very small percentage of folks who don't like you. I'm not one of them, okay? But there are some people out there, they don't like you. And if we're being honest tonight, there are some folks we don't like as well. Hello? See that person on your job, you just, boop. Not today. Not today, devil. Not today. But everyone, understand, 100% of the population, they are not against you. Jesus said in his word, if God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. Don't let the enemy get you to the place where you think even God is against you because he will try. God didn't answer my prayer. Come on, Lord. God, you don't, you don't have my best, my best interest in heart. You didn't, when I needed healing, God, you didn't answer my prayer. It's okay. God has a table prepared for you. Even if he didn't answer that prayer, what you need is right there on the table if you would just be obedient to him and sit down where he's prepared it for you. God is always for us, never against us. Amen. And so that really quickly tonight was a recap of weeks one and two. And now here we are at week three and you're stuck with me. That rhymes. Um, and I wanted to bring these points from the first couple of lessons back into everyone's memory because... This week's lesson builds right on top of what we have already learned. And so tonight we're going to get into some practical things, if that's all right. We're going to get into some practical things that we can do to refuse the enemy access to our table. Is that all right? Can we get practical tonight? So if we combined all of the first and second week's lessons, as we get started tonight, I believe we are now equipped to do what I call a deep dive. Somebody say deep dive. deep dive. A deep dive. And I'd like to think tonight that I'm in the majority with what I'm about to say. The truth is, personally, I don't like doing deep dives. I don't like it. I don't like doing status checks of my own life. I don't like doing a system review of what I, where I am in life right now. I don't like to go over some of the lessons that I failed in and some of the lessons that I've maybe done okay in. I don't like it when I got to examine where I've done right and where I've done wrong. But how many know sometimes you got to do that? Sometimes you got to look in the mirror and say, all right, I did mess up. I did, I did make a mistake here. You know what? Maybe I have allowed the enemy at my table. And so tonight we're going we're gonna to do a little deep dive. And so if you like doing a deep dive, more power to you. More power to you guys. But even though I don't necessarily like them, necessarily like them, I do understand and see the need and value of them. We all need to, need to do deep dives in our life at some times, some points. We all need to stop and reflect, see how far we've come, and maybe understand how far we still need to go. Amen? Because how I many you know we haven't made it yet? We're still stuck in this life until the Lord comes. 
So we still have more to strive for. We still have better that is in front of us. Don't get stuck right where you are. Do a deep dive and feel where God is leading us to get better. So if you've ever played a sport where there is an opponent, very rarely do you start the game or match and then end it in the same way you began. Why? Why do you think that is? Let it sink in for a moment. Most of our opponents, when we're in a match of some sort, or maybe you're playing chess, I don't know, that's a very good analogy here. Most people on the other team start recognizing our habits. They start recognizing our best plays or the best player on the team. That player is the superstar. That's the leading scorer on the team, so we need to double that person. The enemy starts changing because they start to see our habits. And if you're smart, then you don't just keep trying to do the same thing over and over and over. You start to adjust. You start to change some things because you start noticing the enemy has started figuring out what I'm doing. And so how many know it's the same way with us spiritually? Sometimes as believers, as Christians, as church members, as people following after God, we get stuck in doing the same thing over and over and over. And time can go by where we wonder why aren't we gaining any traction? Why aren't we making any headway? It's because the enemy has finally noticed some of the things that we've been doing, and so they've changed their tactics. And so tonight we're going to talk about how we can adjust our tactics. If you've ever played football, this is kind of a big thing that's done at halftime, but I played a little football growing up. My dad was my coach, and I remember the first time I played football, it's a different league that's around here now, but we were, or I was part of the division, what we would call half. We had Division One, Division Two, Division Three, Division Four, which was like high school age, but little old Trey started in we Division Half. They didn't even give us a number. We were so little. The helmets were like so heavy on our head, we could like barely run. But I, I remember vividly, because I was the coach's son at that point, but I played center, and so after I hiked the ball, I had one of two choices. We had six plays. We had middle left and middle right. We had run left and we had run right, run right. And we had sweep left, and guess what the other one we had? Sweep right. We all had six plays. And when you're seven years old, that's all you need to remember is six plays. But as we went on in the season and as center, right, I'm either going to block left or block right. And so as we went on in the season, the other teams, there was only like four teams in the league, and we would win games, and all of a sudden we would get into, at that age, the score would be tied at half, and we're like, how in the world do they know our plays? Well, you only got six. You're going to run left one time, or you're going to run right one time. And we weren't even smart enough to say, you know, when you do the play, we weren't even smart enough to show which way we were going. Half the team was already looking right. If you're going to go right, we were already looking right. And so understand sometimes the enemy, he isn't, and I don't know if I should say this from the pulpit, he isn't stupid. He isn't dumb. He's not ignorant to what goes on. He's been at this for a very, very long time. And so if you don't know that, if you don't believe the enemy takes advantage of what you're doing, it's time for us to wake up as a, as a body of Christ. Amen. The enemy knows what is going on. on. When he sees us having success in some areas, he's going to shift his focus. Yeah. And it's our job sometimes to shift our focus as well. We got to make some adjustments. Somebody say adjustments. So if the devil sits at your table 
How many know sin can fill your mind and sour your conscience and ruin the intimate harmony that you enjoy with the Lord? And I don't know about you all, but sin is also a momentum stopper. Have you ever been going through life? You're doing everything God has called you to do, and then you slip up, and it seems like all momentum has come to a stop. And the enemy just piles it on top of us, sending us thought after thought after thought. The truth is, when sin is in our life, we lose our peace. We lose our effectiveness. We lose our confidence, and we even lose our cheerfulness. Our relationships, if we're not careful, when sin enters in, our relationships can become strained and we find ourselves not living up to the fully given God potential that he's placed in us. To take things further and even complicate matters, your own thoughts and feelings can start to combine with sin and temptation. And it puts us in a spiral that goes around and around. And it's a deceptive spiral. A lot of times it's not a quick one. How many know you don't backslide quickly? It's a slow thing. It's a slow point. You start on the front row, and then maybe you move to the middle row, and then maybe you move to the back row. Hello, somebody. I'm not picking on the people in the back row tonight. I'm just letting you know the enemy will constantly bombard you, and if you're not careful, you can just slip back slowly but surely. And I'm talking tonight about a slow spiral, but it's no doubt that this spiral I'm talking about, it leads to a spiritual death. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. We know that. And so if you don't see it, think about this. Have you ever seen someone struggle with the same sin over and over? Have you? Let me ask you this. Have you ever struggled with the same sin over and over? And it seems like we go in this cycle, right, this spiral, and maybe one day we gain two steps forward and the next day we gain two steps back, and that's because the enemy is actively trying to keep us stuck in that spiral of sin. And when life gets tough, unfortunately, that's the time we always run to those familiar sins. I don't know why. Maybe it's because it feels comfortable to us, but we got to get out of that habit. Even though we know they're harmful and wrong, we can't run back to those places when we go through tough times. We got to stop and we got to make some adjustments. We got to do a deep dive. We got to analyze what we're going through, take a stop and realize the enemy is seated at our table. The spiral has to be broken. Amen. Amen. The truth is the devil, he's experienced. He's been at this for a very, very long time. And he has, it seemingly has, he has all the time in the world and he allows us that time because he, he's not worried about if you're sitting here in church. He's not worried about that because he knows he'll just can keep bombarding you and maybe one day you'll be up, the next day you'll be, bound, you'll be down. But the truth is when we allow him access to our table, that's when he shows no mercy. That's when he starts pouring it on stronger and stronger. We need to understand tonight that in order to gain a seat at our table and to consider or to con continue to sit there, he's going to try to keep us in this spiral of sin. He's going to start us on this road of destruction by putting thoughts into our minds that are contrary to what God shows us and even has prepared for us and what's best for us in our life. He's going to try to worm those thoughts into our minds where they can entice us and even start to fester under the surface. Tonight, I don't want this to be doom and gloom tonight. 
We don't need to be fearful or paranoid about what's going on. God is well aware of who surrounds us at this table. He knows exactly who the enemy is, but yet he's already prepared it for us anyway. He's already made a way for us anyway. Psalms 23 and 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Somebody say he's with us. Tell your neighbor that he's with you. Even when it feels like he's not there, he is with us. John chapter 4 and verse 4 says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So don't fret or be overly obsessed with the devil tonight. We're going to talk about him. Understand every bad thing that happens in our lives. I don't want to give him more credit than he deserves, but it doesn't all come from him. If you're trying to get to work in the morning and your car won't start, you're most likely not going to get to work sooner by casting the devil out of that engine. Get thee out of there, Satan. Get out. Get out. Get out. That's not, that's not going to really help you in that scenario. Right? Really, what happens, I, you know what? I believe you, Brother, brother Phillips. That's probably a good place to start. Might as well cast them out anyway, right? But understand, in that scenario, you just need to jump. And really, your battery's dead. Maybe your light was on all night. One of your kids turned your light on. That happened to me. It's not the enemy in a lot of cases. But the truth is you cannot go through life with blinders on, thinking that the world we live in is a neutral place. The enemy is very real. Very real. There is an adversary out to get you. The Bible says he's prowling like a roaring lion. Every opportunity he's looking for to devour us. All right? Every day, through any means available to him, he's putting harmful thoughts into our heads, ultimately to take us out. One of the, way he do, one of the ways he does that is kind of one of the first points I want to talk about tonight, and that is through our unchecked thoughts. Let's stop letting our thoughts go unchecked and get control of our minds. Now is the time to make some adjustments. And so, um, really quickly, as I'm looking through my notes here, unchecked thoughts, unchecked thoughts. Another point I want to talk about real quickly is how the enemy lures us in. The enemy lures us in. Ezekiel chapter 28, if you have your Bibles, Turn there real quick. Ezekiel chapter 28, starting at verse 12, says, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyre's, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sun, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. The, sards, the sardaz, the topaz, even in the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. And I think I'm missing a page in my notes. Here we go. I found it. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till 
iniquity was found in thee. The Lord is talking about Lucifer here. He's talking about Satan. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore will I cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty, and thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12 says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? And then Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Now the serpent, talking about Satan, was more subtle than any beast of the field. If you look at translations here of Genesis chapter 3, instead of the word subtle, you'll find the word crafty. And we know Lucifer, Satan, he was an angel originally created by God. And the Bible says he was beautiful. We just read he had all these diamonds, all these famous stones, pipes and everything were built into him. He was magnificent to look at, if you could say it that way. And he was supposed to collect all the worship for the Lord. And the Bible tells us again in Ezekiel how he was caught up in his own beauty. He was caught up in collecting what should have been the Lord's. And so that's where his iniquity entered. And, you know, sin doesn't exist in heaven. So immediately he got the boot. And so we find here that this created being that is now cast down to earth, Satan, the Bible calls him subtle. He is crafty. Satan, the evil one, was described as more crafty than any other created being. Now, you should know by now that the enemy, as we talk about him sitting at our table, the enemy is not going to announce his presence to you. I wish he would. That would make things a lot easier sometimes. But he doesn't direct your attention to a PowerPoint presentation that gives a clear step-by-step -step plan of how he's going to bring about your destruction. Tomorrow, I'm going to send this thought your way. And then at noon tomorrow, when it's your time to take a break, I'm going to send this thought at you. Wouldn't it be so much easier if we knew how he was going to attack us? Right? But that's not how he does it. And it's because he's crafty. What he does is he entices us. He makes that sin look good. He, he puts a mirage in front of it, and it just lures us in. He's like a fisherman. He'll use every shiny, colorful, spinning trick he has to get us to bite. As he holds that fishing pole. Have you ever seen that commercial? Ah, you got to be quicker than that. A dollar right there on the end. He'll, he'll hold that fishing pole out of you in front of you, and we, as children of God, we got to understand this. We got to have a visual as he's putting these thoughts in our mind that we got to constantly stay on our guard and watch out for that lure that he wants to use against us. When temptation or harmful thought comes your way, it's probably not going to look bad, at least at first. Initially, it promises to be good. It will appear as another offer or a solution to what you're going through. That's the deception of sin. It disguises itself as relief in a lot of cases. 
But you have to see the revelation in God's word that those temptations and sin, they're all a lie. Sin is not your pal. It's not your buddy. It's not your friend. Sin doesn't have your back. Sin is never the magic elixir or the fix-it solution that we think or that it even claims to be. Sin, as I said earlier, it's a mirage that the enemy uses to entice us, always over-promising and under-delivering. Remember, this is deep dive time tonight. You can make an adjustment today. If the enemy is luring you in, if he's making that sin, that thing that you're struggling with, if he's making it enticing to you, even though you know it's wrong, make a turn right now. Adjust right now and turn to the one who's preparing the table for us. Amen. Don't fall for the lies. Don't chase the lure. Don't give the enemy a seat at your table. Amen. I want to jump back to that spiral of sin real quick. We got to understand how this spiral works so that we can combat the enemy's tactics or the enemy's schemes. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 says, we got to be careful so that our enemy, Satan, doesn't get an advantage for us. We don't need to be ignorant of his devices is what it goes on to say. Here's how the spiral starts. A temptation or a thought that's not from God comes into your mind. And step one is to stop right there. Identify what's going on. I told you we're being a little bit practical tonight. Check the thought. I talked about, un, you know, unchecked thoughts. Check the thought that goes through your mind. Here's the truth. If a harmful thought enters in your mind, it's not from God. That's simple as that. If a harmful thought enters your mind, it is not from God. It's very, very simple. As I was preparing today, I came across this study that said the average person, look at your neighbor real quick, the average person has between 6,000 and 12,000 thoughts every day. Ask them, what are you thinking about? Some of y'all, you don't want them to know what you're thinking about. You don't want to know. I tell you what I'm thinking about right now, these Texas Roadhouse, these uh, rolls right here. Or where's my witness, a bowl of cereal late at night. Come on, cold milk. Can I get a witness? Hallelujah. But the average person has between six to 12,000 thoughts per day. And of those thousands of thoughts, 80% are negative. Can you believe that? 80% of our thoughts every day would be classified as negative. And 95% of our thoughts are usually exactly the same repetitive thoughts we thought about the day before. Let that sink in for a second. 95% of what you thought about today, you had some inkling to think about them yesterday. That's crazy. That's crazy to think about. If a harmful thought enters into your mind, it's not from God. Those harmful thoughts are from the enemy who often uses our own desires against us. How does he do this? James chapter 1, starting in verse 13, says, Let no man say when he is tempted that I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. God isn't the one that's tempting you. There it is right there. 
that thought that has gone through your mind, that is not of God because it tells me he wouldn't send me that temptation of a thought. But the Bible says in verse 14, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. As we have these six to 12,000 thoughts that go through our minds, understand that the enemy attacks our minds every day. And there are times when it gets overwhelming. Hello, somebody. He lures us in and entices us by using our very own desires. In order to take back control of our mind, we have to understand the battlefield that we're in. We are created in the image of God. And we're targeted daily by an enemy who uses our own desires against us. Our enemy hates God, and he wants to destroy everything he can that bears God's image. He knows God created you. How many know the angels don't have the same relationship with God that we have? They don't have the same revelation that we have. I guarantee you they would wish they could have what we have. The Bible says God created them, and every day they're up there singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. That's not a choice on their behalf. But every day we get the opportunity to choose God because we love him, because he's been good to us, because he set a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Satan wishes he has what we have. He wants to kill our dreams and bury the purpose that God has put inside of us. Sorry, real quick, I'm getting my notes back in order. Somebody say deep dive. When a harmful thought or temptation first enters into your mind, understand that is not a sin. When temptation hits you, that's not a sin, not in and of itself. In Matthew chapter 4, I'll prove it to you. Matthew chapter 4. The Bible tells us Jesus was tempted. Temptation came to Jesus. He was tempted by the devil. The devil sent those same thoughts that he sends your way and my way. He sent them towards Jesus. But Jesus chose not to entertain those thoughts. He chose not to entertain the devil's voice. See, when a harmful thought or temptation comes into our minds, we have a choice. We have a decision to make. How many know if you don't make a decision, you're actually making a decision? As I said earlier, when you have those unchecked thoughts, if you just let them filter in with, without any, you know, without any interruption, if you don't interrupt those thoughts, if you just allow the enemy to continue bombarding you and you don't check that, that's when you're going to start having a problem. And so when a harmful thought comes our way, we have a choice. We can either discard that thought or we can entertain it. And if we discard it, that's good. I would even say that's great, right? How many like it when you unclutter your mind? There's something that's refreshing about that. There's something about peace in your mind. How many desire peace in your mind? How many don't want to continue having these same thoughts over and over and over? God, if I just had peace, Lord, if I just had some stillness, lead me back to those still waters, God. If we just had some peace, how much better would our countenance be? How much better would we carry ourselves? 
So we got to learn, and we're going to talk about it, to discard those thoughts. But if we entertain those thoughts, that's when the devil takes a seat at our table. The sin happens when we keep hold of those harmful thoughts and we let them take root in our minds. The crazy and frightening reality is this. Once we let a harmful thought take root in our mind, eventually the temptation is acted upon. Period. It is. Some of y'all are like, "Eh, I don't know about that. I have bad thoughts every day, but I don't act upon them. Right? Some of us, you guys, I had bad thoughts today. My child was bad, and I had a bad thought because he was bad, right? I didn't act upon that thought, all right? But some people try to insist that harmful thoughts don't always lead to harmful actions, but I'd have to disagree. Harmful and sinful actions always begin with the thought, and those harmful thoughts harbored over time always lead to action. Always, always. Remember I said this is deep dive tonight. This is the time where we can make an adjustment. Those thoughts must be stopped. We got to check them when they flow through our minds. And we alone have the power to stop them. The Bible says be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have the ability to cast down, cast down, catch down, cast down. Whoa, I can't get my my words right. C-A-S-T, cast down imaginations, every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. We have the ability, church, to cast those imaginations down. If we keep entertaining those thoughts over time, then they will win the battle in our mind. This is why the enemy's lures, those things that he entices us with, are so dangerous. Because the truth is, sin usually feels good. Even if just for a moment, It feels good. And the devil would love to have us chase that feeling over and over and over. As believers and saints of God, I think sometimes we are ashamed of this truth and we like to skip over it. We don't like, in a way, we don't like admitting that sin feels good. We don't like telling somebody, well, I felt justified in what I did. I felt like, you know, God would forgive me later. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Sin is sin. Even if it feels good, sin is sin. We got to be aware of the devil's schemes. Sin can be fun, at least for a little while, but Proverbs 14, verses 12 and 13, this is the Message Bible. It says, there is a way of life that looks harmless enough. Look again. It leads straight to hell. Sure, those people appear to be having a good time, but all that laughter will end in heartbreak. That's how it works. The devil shows you that lure. That thing is spinning. and Ooh, that thing looks good. And like a fish, we bite that lure, but it doesn't deliver what's promised. Instead, you end up in a downward sin spiral into shame, separation, and destruction. And so tonight I have two more points I want to talk about. The first one is the contrast between condemnation and conviction. When the enemy has you caught up in the spiral of sin, I talked a little bit earlier about how our enemy, when we're playing a sport or something, right, our enemy 
they start understanding what's going on. When I was in division half, when we scored two touchdowns going to the right, the whole, the whole defense would shift to the right because they knew where we were going. Consequently, they had coaches at that age. The coaches would come out on the field with us, and it'd be funny. The coaches would move half the kids all the way to one side because they knew we were going to keep going that way because we were having success going that way. But when the enemy has you caught up in the spiral of sin, he usually starts to shift his tactics. You see, up until now, this is what he's been whispering. You see that fruit? It's okay, Eve, take that fruit. The fruit looks good, don't it? It looks really good. God's been denying you that fruit. You know, God never said you shouldn't have the fruit. I promise you, Eve, if you eat of this fruit, this is really going to solve your problem. You see, God's been holding out, holding out on you. If you eat this fruit, you'll understand what he's been holding out on you of or on you with. But as soon as we fall for that trap, as soon as we eat the fruit, what do we feel? We feel dirty. We feel guilty. We feel shame come in. And where's the devil at then? Where is he at then at that point in time? What is he whispering to you then? Right here we are, guilty. Ah, I know I shouldn't have done that. And we start to feel shame and frustration. And a lot of times, just like Adam and Eve did, we go hide. Why? Why do we go hide from the one who has everything that we need? We run off in shame thinking that God is mad at us. God is angry at us. And now the enemy starts to tell you, you're the lousiest person he's ever seen. He will insist that you're the poorest follower of Jesus in the world. Look at you. He'll tell you you're pathetic. You're hopeless. You're a failure. Come on, has the enemy ever said that to you? Has he ever whispered that in your ear? Have you ever felt those feelings come through you? As we said, those thoughts didn't come from God. So who did they come from? They had to come from our adversary. And far, far too often, you know what we do? We sit there and we listen to it. We sit there and we let him get on his soapbox and tell us how bad we're doing and how bad we look and how God, you know, God had it out for us the whole time. And we sit there and we let him accuse us. And you know what? Even after accusing us, when those thoughts get in our mind long enough, we start to believe him. We start to agree with our adversary, and now he's firmly seated at your table. He's cracked open your chips ahoy, and he's dipping them in his own cup of milk. Mm. I feel that right now. I want that. He's opened up my Popeyes and took a bite out of that thigh. Mm. But understand tonight, church, if we let him accuse us for too long, then we start letting him condemn us. And if we steadily listen to that condemnation long enough, we'll eventually be destroyed. The truth is it's time for us to wake up. It's time for us to check every thought that goes through our minds because we have the ability to do so. We have the ability to transform our mind and renew our mind every day. We can put on that helmet of salvation and guard our mind. We have the ability to do that. It's up to us to do that. We can do that in Jesus' name. It's time for us to wake up, church. The huge difference between God, who has prepared this wonderful table just for us, 
And the enemy who's trying to worm his way into a seat at the table is that the enemy will condemn you, but God will convict you. The enemy will condemn you, but God will convict you. There is a world of difference between those two actions. Condemnation comes from guilt. We feel condemned when we feel guilty. But conviction is born out of grace. We live in a dispensation of grace. We live in a time where God's grace is available to every one of us. And understand when you do wrong and that conscious start rises up in you and you know you've done wrong, that's the grace of God at work. And that's conviction. That's born of grace. See, condemnation leads you to conceal your sin like Adam and Eve. Conviction urges you to confess your sin. Condemnation results in remorse, while conviction calls you to repentance and turning to go the other way from that sin. Nobody said conviction wasn't an easy thing to feel, though. But conviction is of God. And if you feel convicted today, it's God urging you to come back to the table. Come on back. Come on back. I've got exactly what you need right here. Condemnation is a path to future failure. It's the enemy wanting to keep you in that spiral of sin, while conviction is a highway to real change. If God is sending conviction towards you, it's because he wants you to change. He wants you to get back to the place where you're living up to the potential he's placed in you. How many know God wants better for us than we want for ourselves sometimes? He does. That's why conviction is available to us. But if we're not careful, we can allow the enemy to tell us conviction is condemnation. And understand that thought right there is not from God. It's from the enemy. If you find yourself stuck in the spiral of sin, caught in the snare of the enemy, the solution is to repent and surrender your problem, your issue, your struggle to the Lord. Surrender is when you say, God, Obviously, here I am, Lord, I can't do anything to change the situation that I'm in. Because believe it or not, when we pray this prayer, we done tried before and we failed. I've tried it my own way and I ended up back where I started. I'm still in this spiral of sin, Lord. And so, God, I can't do anything to change this situation. I can't do it. But I'm done hiding from you anymore, Lord. I'm going to open up my heart to your love and your solution. And I'm going to open it up so that the Holy Ghost can work that conviction and that grace that I need, Lord. I need you to turn my life around. And that is that conviction, that call back to the table. And when conviction works on us, when we turn in that opposite direction, we're turning back to the one who's prepared the table for us. We're turning back and we're following the Lord. You see, the truth is, as we talk about condemnation and conviction, the truth is, Jesus has already overcome the world. I'm going to let that sink in just for a moment because a lot of times I don't think we understand that. And as I was studying for this, I have 14 pages of notes and I wish I had 20 because the book that we're doing this from goes in so deep on this point right here. And I wish I did it justice. But the truth is, Jesus has already overcome the world. What that means is he's already won the war. And he has victory over the sin that we're struggling with. Yeah. 
It's only because he's already overcome and it's through his power that that's what allows us to get out of that spiral of sin. Not our own ways, not our own choices. Nothing else allows us to get out of that but the power that God has over sin. When we truly surrender to Jesus, we start that process of removing the enemy from our table. The last point I want to make tonight is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. And if there's any other thing you can get tonight out of this lesson, I hope you get this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. Sister Naomi, I don't know if you can put this up on there for me. Or if you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. As we talk about unchecked thoughts, as we talk about the enemy trying to lure us in, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, there have no temptation taking you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Somebody say that, God is faithful. I know we sang that tonight as our last song, um, but the truth is God is faithful. He's more faithful to us than we'll ever be to him. And the Bible says he's so faithful that he'll not let us be, be tempted beyond what we're able to bear. Not only will he not give us too much to bear, but it says, but with the temptation that the adversary is bringing against us, God is so faithful that he'll always make a way of escape. Not only will we bear what the enemy throws our way, but even when we fall down, even when we get to the point where we're trapped, we have nowhere else to go, even when those thoughts are bombarding our mind, before we make that decision to do sin, God always gives us a way of escape. Think about that for a moment. How many times has God checked you before you made a decision? How many times has God stopped you before you were about to do something destructive in your life? A lot of times when we pray and God says no, what God is really doing is he's checking us. He's not allowing us to be destroyed later on down the line. He's making a way of escape for us. God is faithful and he will provide a way out. Not might, not might provide a way out. I know a lot of times we can't see the way out. We need God to reveal it to us. But the Bible tells us that he will provide a way out. Not if he's feeling like it or on occasion he'll provide a way out. But every time, if you look, if you turn your eyes to the Lord, he'll always provide a way out. Because we have victory in nobody else but Jesus. Tell your neighbor, you have victory in Jesus. A lot of times we don't really say that like we mean it. Jesus has already won. What does that mean? What does it mean that God has already won? Right? We know God is all powerful. He has the keys to death, hell, and the grave. But what does it mean when we say that Jesus has already won? Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 says that he is seated. Jesus is seated at the place of victory at the right hand of God. Understand this, when God comes again, and he's coming soon, amen, he's coming any one of these days, God is coming soon. But when he comes again, he's not coming to fight sin again. You guys know that? God isn't coming to fight sin anymore because he's returning as a victor. 
He's returning already victorious. It's a done deal. The devil's time is up the next time that God comes. There will be no more sin next time God comes. Because Jesus has already won the victory over sin. What that means for us is we now have access to that victory as well. We don't have to stay defeated. We don't have to stay stuck in that spiral of sin over and over and over. If you look hard enough, God has provided a way out. But you got to look for it. We're victorious because God is victorious. We can be free from the grasp of sin by living and understanding the identity we have as children of the Lord. Sin and temptation and a poor thought doesn't need to hold us down. The power to live freely comes from Jesus, who has prepared the table for us. To be clear, our battle isn't won because the pressure lifts from off our life or because our circumstances change. I'm sorry to tell you, the rest of your life here on earth, you're going to have enemies that are surrounding your table. You're going to have an adversary prowling every day like a wolf waiting for that lost sheep to separate itself. He's going to continue to bombard you every single day. We'll still walk through dark valleys throughout our entire lives. We'll still sit at a table that's surrounded by enemies. The battle isn't won because the pressure lets up. That's not why the battle is won. A lot of times we pray that, God, if you would just take away this, take away the pressure. I can't deal with it anymore. I can't take the enemy staring at me as I'm eating my white rice and, and, and chicken. I don't want the enemy watching me while I eat. Anybody like when people watch you while you eat? It's a weird feeling. You take that bite and you're like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want the enemy constantly bombarding me, constantly feeling like he's encroaching upon what me and you have, Lord. I don't want the enemy to do that. The battle is won, though, because of who walks with us through those dark valleys, who sits at the table with us when we're surrounded by our troubles. I want to make it plain tonight as I get ready to bring this to a close. In order for us to walk in victory, we need to have a firm grasp on this revelation, and that is God is faithful. God is faithful. From the moment Jesus rose from the grave, we've been given that same opportunity to be brought together up with him as well. We don't have to battle sin. We don't have to deal with enemy bombarding our thoughts. We don't have to be succumb to those things because God is already victorious over them. 1 Corinthians 15 and 53 says, But thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are that closely connected with Jesus. What that means, and stand with me tonight, what that means is whatever Jesus has won victory over, we can have victory over. Every battle that God has already won, we can also win. Not through our own power, but by drawing closer and closer and closer to the Lord. Imagine with me tonight that there's a door in front of you. Imagine it's big, whatever color you want that door to be. Imagine it's big, but right on top of that door is marked temptation. What choices are available to you in that moment? The door looks enticing. The thought has hit my mind of this temptation. The most effective way you can avoid sin is 
not to walk through the door marked temptation in the first place, right? That seems fairly self-explanatory. But as I said, there's going to be a little bit of practicality tonight. The main way is to stay out. Don't go through that door. How many know how to do that? Is it hard? Let me help you real quick. Build some safeguards when you see that door. Build some hedges where uh, I got to work really hard to climb over these things to get through that door. And don't worry, the enemy will keep telling you, keep coming, keep coming. Build some checks before you get to that door. Don't go certain places. Don't go on certain websites. Certain areas where you may be prone to fall for that temptation. Just avoid them. You'll save yourself a lot of heartache in the long run. But the next scenario is what if you do if you've made it to the door and you've already started to go through it? How many know we've all been there? We've all fallen into temptation. Maybe you're going through that tonight. I don't know. We've now gone through and we find ourselves headed towards sin. Here's where we must recognize the faithfulness of God. If you stumble through the door of temptation, all hope is not lost as the enemy would have you believe. Usually, after you go through that big door, God has provided some smaller doors along the way that say exit, exit here, come out. It may be harder to find that door, but as we just read, he's faithful. If you look hard enough, you'll find that way out. What do those doors look like? As I was reading this this uh, story that, or this, this book that this lesson is um, built upon. There was a section in here, and, and for the sake of time, I didn't get a chance to put it in my notes. But the author here talks about a woman in this congregation who uh, struggled with temptation. And she went on this trip to Cancun. How many of you know you probably shouldn't go on a trip to Cancun? It's not, a, not a, probably a good idea. But you know, she's a Holy Ghost-filled woman of God. And the first check was when all her friends said, let's go to Cancun. And as she tells this story, the first door, after she has already agreed to go through that temptation, the first door that hits us, the Holy Ghost, is usually the first check. The first small door that says way out of that situation is usually that door of conviction getting a hold of you. And she said in the story that, you know, her girlfriends asked her to go on this trip. She agreed to go, and immediately the Holy Ghost checked her and said, you know what, you shouldn't go. You shouldn't go. But guess what? She went anyway. And so now she's through this door. She's already into the temptation, right? She's down there. She's, she's looking at sunshine and beaches. And now that she's getting ready to book her hotel, what she finds is that her card is declined. That's the second check. That's the second door. You got a chance to get out of here. You got a chance to get out of here. How many know sometimes we don't look for those doors, but they find us anyway? And as you can look back over your life, how many times has God done things like that to you? Where you're like, you know what? If I had only listened to the prompting of the Lord, Sometimes we don't think it looks like a declined credit card. You're like, I just used that credit card. How in the world is it declined? Try it again. Knowing we shouldn't go there, right? But we do it anyhow. Guess what? She did it anyhow. And so now she's further along. She's in the hotel. Her girlfriends are there. They're having fun. 
one of her friends says, let's go to that nightclub. And now what does she do? Now here's another door. Here's another, here's another way out. She says, you know what? I, I, I'm not going to go. You guys go. I'm going to take a walk on the beach. But one of the girls grabs her by the hand. Come on. We're not going to do like we did last time. Let's just, let's just have fun. And so she ignores that check. And now she's in the taxi and headed on her way to the club. And on the way to the club, as she gets closer and closer and closer, there's one more tiny door that she takes notice of. She comes to a stoplight. The light's red. And she's like, I feel a prompting from the Lord. I should just get out. It's not going to be easy to get out. I'm going to leave all my friends behind. They're going to go. But Lord, I feel you prompting me not to go. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait.